0: Japan by River Cruise is made possible thanks to your donations at japanbyrivercruise.com and the generosity of our corporate sponsors. Here is a message from Masterclass.
1: For just $180 a year, you can have access to world-class courses taught by the world's leading experts in their respective fields. But what if you're a little more realistic about your odds of mastering French cuisine, selling a screenplay, or going to space? Introducing Amateur Class, Courses with more attainable goals taught by less-intimidatingly-successful instructors. With courses like Logan Paul teaches ethics, a McDonald's employee teaches coffee brewing, and Bobby Judo teaches stand-up comedy. You'll learn the bare minimum, and it will probably still be more than you need. Enter promo code RiverCruise in the registration box at AmateurClass.com and experience a free trial of the lesson that inspired the entire Amateur Class program. 22 year old liberal arts graduate teaches English as a second language.
0: Brian and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. And I'm Ollie Horn. On this week's show, another Japanese comedian is in trouble. This time for insensitive comments about people struggling financially during the state of emergency, proving once and for all that there is a wrong way to be pro-sex work. Also, if you bought a bogus PCR test kit from a known scammer, well, why did you do that? Stay tuned for a detailed discussion of how dumb you are. Plus, Ollie's got your weekly river cruise recommendation, Ollie?
1: Yes, this week's recommendation is a quaint little Kyushu cruise, which has a vegetarian owl cafe on board, which we highly recommend to any vegetarian owls who fancy a boat trip.
0: And in many ways, the river cruise industry is suffering through its most difficult economic downturn ever. But later in the show, we'll talk to Marusan Holdings, proud owner of the largest riverboat fleet in all of East Asia, about why, in many ways, there's never been a better time for you to buy one of their boats. But first, Soap Talk. Bobby Judah, how's your week been? I have been struggling this week, Ollie. The transition to uh, online work is difficult. Yeah, who would have thought that the novelty wears off? Yeah. Who, who would have thought that like creative content that's designed to be interactive is just really difficult to replicate when you're really far away from people with a four-second time lag between your remarks?
1: It could be that we are men with hammers in search of nails, which no longer exist. Hmm. I actually heard from a friend. In fact, he's a a Japanese comedian friend, Saku Yanagawa. And uh, he was talking about how he's based in Chicago now doing stand-up. And now, obviously, all the stand-up's gone. Mm. So he's looking to kind of retool. And he said that the the birth of stand-up comedy was because of the Great Depression in the 1930s. That all of a sudden, theatres and musicals were defunct. And so all these vaudeville acts who were doing their kind of jokes and skits in between the dancers and whatever, then moved to new media like radio and movies. Right, And so their kind of skill as a stand-up was no longer useful because the theatres no longer existed, but their skill of just being able to talk guff was useful for this new medium of radio.
0: I do think that's really interesting though, because I've been watching a lot of people, including you, doing their stand-up gigs online. And, you know, some of them go better than others, but I... Do get the sense that it's not the same as performing to a room and that the comic is not getting as much out of it as well. So it's on both sides kind of the audience who's watching it is not getting the stand up experience, the stand up comedian performing it is not getting the stand up experience. And I think a lot of people are slowly starting to realize that this is not a viable venue for that skill set.
1: Yeah, well, I think I mentioned this last week, right? That we need to, first of all, stop saying this through the lens of, but what about my experience as a comic? Why can't I get my creative fulfillment anymore? I must have told you about the gig, which I did, where the organizer of the gig came on at the show at the end to do 10 minutes of
0: jokes. You absolutely told me about it, but maybe the audience hasn't heard it. Why not just tell the story?
1: (laughs) I should tell Brian. So, So... it was actually the same gig where we had the problems, where there was some bug with the system that anyone that turned up late to the gig was thrown on stage. Right? So the gig actually went very well after we, we resolved those problems. And then at the end, the organizer who isn't much of a comic himself, you know, he's mainly a promoter, but he, he likes telling gags. Uh, <laughs> he didn't tell his wife that he was doing this, or at least he told her, but she's not very supportive. And so what you see is about three minutes into his set, just, absolute screaming off camera of what the F do you think you're doing? And you just see like him like a rabbit in the headlights, just kind of turning, going, Oh shit. And of course there's like sixty people watching who are now creasing. You the yeah. comments are just blowing up, going, This is great. And then you know like in Tom and Jerry, the, the owner was always really scary because you never saw her full body. You only ever saw just her her feet and her ankles. And so like she was just like this mysterious figure of authority. Well, that was how his wife played it because she never came on the camera. We just heard. You said dinner will be ready an hour ago. I've been waiting for this for an hour, and so then he, while he's still trying to maintain his comic persona, you know the the little bit of authority that you still have on an online gig. He goes, "No, no, yeah, I'll to- no, dinner will be ready. I told you. I'll. You said we'd be done by ten thirty. I know, but we've overran. Can I?" And then honestly, one of the the saddest sweetest lines i've ever heard it's a perfect crossover of absolutely mortifyingly pathetic but also cute and hopeful he goes can i just finish telling my jokes kind of vaguely gesturing towards the webcam and of course yeah. you know then he he moves to a different room and, and tries to finish his set but obviously it's just so embarrassing so yeah there are there are obviously pitfalls uh, in, in working from home too
0: Well, yeah, the problem with the medium is not just in terms of like people not being able to run it technically. I think it's also in terms of the distance that the medium creates between the audience and the performer. And I know we're joking about, you know, stop looking for validation as a performer, but getting that validation as a performer increases the quality of the performance and it's your motivation to keep doing it. So with the distance that kind of removes that ability to have any interactive back and forth with the audience I think both sides are going to be getting less out of it. And the people that I've seen that are comedians who are the most successful in their transition to this online work are not people who are doing direct stand-up. They're doing something else using comedy. And the vaudeville depression move to a new medium reference is interesting to me because I do see people moving out of their boxes into new boxes, but they're not creating anything new. Like they're moving from stand-up comedy into sketch writing sketch writing and like little YouTube clips that are funny were already there. So do you see anything brand new coming out of this?
1: Yeah, well, I think a really good example is Stu Goldsmith's Infinite Sofa. So Stu Goldsmith is a, a comedian and podcaster in the UK, and he is really, really well connected in the worlds of comedy and also street entertainment because he used to be a street performer. So he has this incredible variety show where he brings in not only stand-ups to do interviews, but also... Kind of like wacky performance artists right you know people i don't know juggling bowling balls or whatever in the, in their house and so he's created something which i think but for the fact that there are no like gigs he probably would never have have created this show sam c in singapore's got a, a loads of online content loads of online game shows where he's bringing in guests from all around the world that he would never normally have access to so i think there's some activity like that but i yeah. do agree that generally people are they're not using this as an opportunity to create something brand new. But also, I mean, fair play, it's, we've only been in this for a few weeks, and everyone's stressed as it is. You know, we, I, I want you know, a
0: brand new comedic medium now, Ollie. <laughs> now.
1: Well, I'm kind of glad, though, that we started this podcast well before the pandemic. I think we called it very well. Good on us for predicting <laughs> that. Uh, no, we, we're, uh, we're not
0: jumping on the bandwagon. We're okay.
1: So... We, uh, we don't have a guest this week, but we, will, we do have a guest booked in for next week. Any news on the elusive guest, which has been avoiding us, rudely, arrogantly uh, avoiding us, Bobby?
0: Yes, uh, noted water hater, Jake Adelstein. We do have an update on our beef with him. He had a brief social media absence last week, which we may or may not have caused. Uh, we didn't. But also, apparently, when he came back online, he had been inundated with so many inquiries about his guest spots on this podcast that I can now proudly announce that we might be able to settle our differences when he maybe comes on the show.
1: Okay. And has he given us a concrete commitment on when he's actually going to guest on the podcast?
0: Yes. A concrete, a very firm concrete quote, maybe sometime after the 10th, end quote.
1: Okay. Of which month? This month?
0: He he was not specific about that.
1: Right. Okay. Did he say anything else?
0: He did. He said, and this is another direct quote, uh, quote, you guys are terrible end quote thank you so just to recap we have him firmly kind of committed as a guest so brian uh please send him a tweet telling him that you're looking forward to seeing what he has to say for himself if and when he comes on um i will be following up on this just like i did last time so sometime in the next year or two
1: very good do we have any mail this week will we
0: nope but we do have some coffees we did we got coffees thank you very much Brian from Fukuoka, the original Brian from Fukuoka, bought us five additional coffees, topping his three last time.
1: Yes, Brian says that he donated five coffees because he saw that someone else had donated five coffees. And that now takes him up to a total of eight coffees. So now he's at number one, as if there was a ranking in the first place. It does kind of seem to me that he's trying to buy our affection, though.
0: totally can yeah no uh we like you a little bit more every time you do this and i think there's really two ways to look at this one is that you know if you have listened to every single one of our episodes which this brian has then we really do appreciate you contributing something you know as a token of appreciation for the time that we've put into this the other way to look at this is uh if you have listened to every single episode so far then maybe we should give you some money
1: we also got a. Uh, One coffee from John Bear. Super John Bear. Thank you very much, John. Corona left me out of a job. (laughs) I presume he's talking about the virus, not the beer. (laughs) And uh, he says he he can only budget for one coffee, and he'll let us two decide in a civil manner who gets it. Thanks for keeping me company while I hopelessly study kanji. Well, if you are listening to the podcast while studying kanji, I can assure you that that is hopeless <laughs> there's absolutely no, no way this is going to improve your <laughs> kanji uh but thanks very much for that one coffee yeah thank you very much john but who gets it Bobby? um junken okay. okay so I, show I, I, show
0: no. Janken Janken.
1: I just gave you the middle finger uh which it counts as scissors and you were paper so it looks like i get a coffee
0: well i said <laughs> while throwing paper this is just
1: <laughs> uh i don't speak japanese let's take a look at the news Bobby, Judo, what horrific things have happened in Japan this week?
0: Ah, another Japanese comedian in trouble for some some comments that people are, some people consider these comments politically incorrect and some are describing them as pro-forcing women into sex work. It does seem that a lot of
1: our stories do follow this pattern of something absolutely outrageous has been said, and there are some people which are mildly angry about it and some people which are very angry about it. And our position is we're really angry with the ones that are mildly angry about it.
0: That's a fair summary, I think. But uh, it especially applies this time. Uh, this is about Okamura Takashi, who's a member of the comedy duo 99. And he's got a late night radio show and he got an inquiry to his radio show. He got a, somebody wrote him a message.
1: What? Was it someone asking for a flake?
0: <laughs> Don't know what that means.
1: 99.
0: That's number Wang um, <laughs> just, that's that's as British as I get over here. I know number Wang and I know nothing else. What's the flake
1: Well that's good that you've just fought a, you just fought a British reference with another British reference.
0: So uh, someone wrote into his show saying, will there ever be a time when we get to go back to Fuzoku? Which is uh, sex services, sex workers.
1: First, firstly, who's writing in to a, like, who's messaging a radio station with this specific question? Surely this is the kind of question which you'd maybe ask discreetly to someone who might have known.
0: Well, here's problem number one uh, it's so culturally acceptable uh, to talk about these things openly. And, you know, there's no problem with being a sex worker. There's no problem with patronizing a sex worker. But one of the issues that- I'm so glad you
1: finally said that, Bobby. We were waiting for a straight white man to say this. And thank (laughs) God, finally, you've taken the helm.
0: Well, one of the (laughs) problems that this is highlighted is that people who do frequently use the services of sex workers tend to be the people who are uh, the harshest in their treatment and opinions about sex work. Well, in Japanese culture, in general, and especially on late night entertainment, you know, late night entertainment, radio and TV is known to be more liberal in what you're allowed to say. But also, it's culturally acceptable for men to patronize the services of sex workers and uh, to talk about it openly. You know, to talk about things like cheating or you know, getting hand jobs, or these things are more openly discussed in public forums. So, what
1: did Takashi say?
0: So. There's a lot to unpack here, but what he said to this guy who was saying, I can't believe that I don't have the opportunity to patronize sex workers right now. He said, we're in a difficult spot, but, but God never gives humans more than they're prepared to handle. He said, once this is all over, I guarantee that there will be something fun waiting for us because even if it's just for a little while, beautiful women will take up sex work. Why? Because they'll be hurting for money so badly that they'll need to earn a lot of it in a short amount of time. So the idea here is that people who are out of work uh, because of the pandemic will be so financially destitute that they'll have no choice but to turn to sex work to make a lot of money in a short amount of time to make up for their financial losses.
1: Well, I think I got the idea. Um, like, well, <laughs> I don't th- I don't think what he said was that nuanced, was it? I don't think it needed no, that much unpacking. No,
0: pretty straightforward.
1: Goodness me. I mean, the thing that's kind of sad to me is this does probably highlight a truth that there are going to be people that because they're in financial destitution are doing jobs they don't want to have to do. And there is a certain category of person, and that person is typically a privileged man who thinks that this pandemic can only provide positives for them. The world was already working for them in a way that suited them. And all the pandemic is, has done is turned any previous inequalities or injustices up to 10. Yeah, And so for them, they know things are going to be fine for them and they're immune to whatever the virus has to bring, and they can only see the positives.
0: It's very much a rich get richer, poor get poorer kind of situation. Uh, And I very much feel what you said about people in financial difficulty considering doing jobs that they are opposed to doing, because I've been looking into teaching English online. But... (laughs) With, with, I'm not there but, yet. I'm not there yet, but I've got a list. But by the way,
1: I, I really respect your right to choose. I would never do so myself and I wouldn't want my son or daughter to do it, but I respect the fact that you will be an English teacher online.
0: Thank you. And this, this is a big difference here, right? Because there's a difference between somebody who doesn't want to teach English online, but has to do it to earn a living and somebody who doesn't want to do sex work and has to do it to earn a living. So Ali and I, I think, are both comfortable saying that we are pro-sex work. If you want to be a sex worker, that's fine. If you want to patronize sex workers, that's fine. But one thing that this issue has highlighted is kind of reflected in what you said as well. The people who patronize sex workers are these privileged individuals who don't have respect for the people who are doing them. It's not about, you know, receiving a service. It's about taking advantage of someone. And the idea that there was this this element to his comment about the idea of looking forward to, of that was what Mm. he was looking forward to in this fun kind of sense, was that somebody who did not want to be doing this would have to be doing this. And it'd be a better quality of, it'd be a prettier girl than you usually get, I guess.
1: So do you reckon this is the mentality then, that rather seeing the person that you're employing to have sex with you as as an equal or, or someone of superior status, that you're having to pay for, the the mentality that I guess he's revealing in this comment is he likes the fact that his money can be coercive.
0: I think there's a part of it that is exactly that. And I think that's where a lot of the backlash is coming from. I saw a Japanese sex worker who tweeted in response to this about how it's emblematic of the idea that the people who actually use sex workers more frequently are the people who are the most likely to shit on them. The people who are most likely to have negative opinions about sex workers or to say, shut up and take it. it was. Uh, she said it in Japanese, but it was basically, um, it was shut up and suck on it was her exact phrasing. So Thank you, Bobby. yeah, uh, look in the show notes for the Japanese translation of uh, shut up and suck <laughs> it. We'll write it in kanji for you, John Bear. So yeah, the element that, that he was taking pleasure in people's financial struggle and taking pleasure in the idea that he would be able to exploit that for his own sexual gratification.
1: Also, lest we forget the fact that the comment never needed to be made in the first place. Even if he did get an email into his radio show saying, oh, I miss sex work, that might have been an amazing opportunity for him to go, yeah. I mean, this pandemic is obviously making a lot of people lonely and maybe we can use this as a moment to reflect on quite how much we value the industry. And maybe if you do have a particular sex worker you fre- frequented, then maybe you can pay her some money anyway, despite the fact you can't meet just to show yourself. So- like, there's, there's so many yes. really lovely directions that this question could have been taken in.
0: I agree. I think it was an opportunity for that kind of discussion to be had, but I think uh, he's a comedian on a comedy radio show. And as we're discovering, as we say this on our podcast, it might be a great message but it's not funny so one of the defenses of this one of the defenses of this is that he's a comedian he was trying to say something funny but if you analyze what he actually said on a comedic level there's no joke there's no joke, yeah, there's no joke.
1: okay then Bobby, I'll, i challenge you to come up with a joke based on the exploitation of beautiful women uh, who face financial destitution as a result of a global pandemic
0: i'll need uh, a couple of years uh, <laughs> one and a half of which will be spent drafting my apology. <laughs> speaking, speaking of apologies, he, uh, he has responded to the backlash. He's a Yoshimoto comedian. Yoshimoto has also uh, responded. The radio station itself apologized the very next day. It took a couple more days for them to get an apology up on Yoshimoto. And here again, I mean, I think this shows how slowly change happens in Japanese society. Uh, because the apology itself is boilerplate. It's just straight up boilerplate. It's the bare minimum of what needed to be said. He used the word futekisetsu, futekisetsu, which means inappropriate. And it's the go-to for anything. It's the go-to apology for anything. You say, I said or did something which means inappropriate. There's I no bad thing. yeah. There's no deep dive into why it was bad. It's just... I did something bad. I said something inappropriate and I regret it. And here's a guy who was in the running for hosting Kohaku Utagassen, which is one of NHK's biggest yearly shows um, and works on all these other major programs. And some people think that this might cost him work, but the the reaction from the industry itself has been so lukewarm. And the apology is such a brush off that, I don't think in the end it will affect him negatively whatsoever.
1: So, is there any positive to take from the story?
0: I think the fact that there is a backlash at all is a positive because, you know, when I first got to Japan, these kinds of things were said regularly with nobody. I mean, 10 years ago, nobody was saying this is inappropriate. It's just kind of, you know, people who didn't find it funny just quietly didn't find it funny. And now for there to be a backlash, I think it's a big deal.
1: I think the saddest thing about this whole story is that it probably does highlight a truth. And the best comedy is supposed to highlight uncomfortable truths. And an uncomfortable truth probably is that Japan does not have a good safety net for people in the lowest income bracket. And there will be people who are struggling to make ends meet and will do jobs which they otherwise would not have wanted to do. And one of those jobs is probably sex work. Because when you're a woman under the age of 30 with no other qualifications because the education systems let you down. I don't know, maybe you applied for medical school, but they didn't let you in because you weren't a man or whatever else it is. The system which is most set up to support you flourishing uh, is the sex industry.
0: Yeah, a uh, former idol, Amina Dijon, tweeted about this as well. She said one of the things that she wishes they would talk more about is the fact that there aren't any lucrative jobs for women in Japan other than sex work.
1: Well, one thing you can do, if you want to earn lots of money without having any qualifications is simply lie about your qualifications. Let's have a look at the next story. This story is absolutely wild. Uh, Firstly, I have to say a big thanks to Makiko Ito, who's a journalist on Twitter, who's done an excellent summary of this, which I'm basically going to read out to you, Bobby, but Mm. right. There has been a Corona testing kit, which costs $150, which is sold by Rakuten. Rakuten, one of the biggest retailers in Japan. And they, they, I looked into this a bit more. Rakuten is everywhere. They own brands in like so many different countries. They bought uh, a couple of UK e-commerce sites. They're huge. So they've been selling this testing kit for Corona for $150 per kit, minimum order of a hundred. It's basically for companies to test their employees so they can send them back to work without any risks of, of liability, right? You know, go, you're healthy, go work. go make Yeah, money
0: that's a good note. It's not without any health risks. It's without any risks of liability. They don't care yeah. about your health. They care about being yeah. able to say, you tested negative, you can go back to work.
1: Precisely. And so... uh It's a home testing kit. You stick a swab up the nose and it uses uh, a testing type called PCR, right? Mm. Which is the polymerase chain reaction. I think our listeners know what that is. I'm not going to spend any time. Just wasting time explaining it. Absolutely. But the funny thing about this test is it's like double bad. So the first thing is it, it can be prone to a sampling error, which means if you don't have enough of the virus in you, even if you are infected, you're still... Flag as negative. Plus, sometimes it was flagging as positive, even if you don't have the virus. So absolutely completely useless test. The um Japan Medical Association called this offering highly problematic, which is Japanese euphemism for fucked. And <laughs> <laughs> and, and so Rakuten has a stake in Genesis healthcare. They 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 own some shares in the company. And so everyone's now looking into this company, Genesis Healthcare, and it's being run by a lady called Iri Baran Sato, which.
0: Does that sound like a real name?
1: Yeah, right, exactly. That already sounds like a villain in a Disney story. Yeah. Um, And basically, she's got history of coming up with medical companies which don't work, right? Like, so she had this uh, genome company where you had to, uh, where your body was either a pear or an apple or something. I didn't really. Uh, spend much time looking into that.
0: It was but, a it was a diet method, right? This was hugely popular in Japan, like a handful of years ago. It was a diet method based on your body's genome type, and there was right. uh, there was pear, apple, and banana. Maybe I think were the three fruits that you could be.
1: Okay, I think I'm a potato. Agreed. And and so this like company kind of fell by fell by the wayside, and mainly because uh, the Weekly Bushin magazine. Looked into her background, right? Looked into whether yeah. she actually knew anything about genetics or obesity. What or is something. her medical
0: expertise?
1: Right. And basically she has, l- like, none. Like, like she, she has absolutely no medical credibility whatsoever. She calls herself a doctor. She's not. She said that she'd done her training abroad. She said that she had... Um, a, a, ma- a double major in medicine and political science at the age of 21 from Cornell university. Then she obtained yeah. a PhD and an MBA from Waseda university. And she said she was a certified heart surgeon in New York state, because if you're going to lie, you might as well go big. And then that was just found to all be nonsense. Uh, New York uh, city medical board said they'd never heard of her. And when
0: she claimed that she'd grown up overseas and done all her education overseas. And when she started to get caught out for lying on it, she Her excuse was, one, that like the the universities over there were not allowed to release personal information, and then when that didn't work, the next go-to excuse was I was raised overseas, I don't understand Japanese well enough to represent (laughs) myself and to respond to these questions. Which,
1: by the way, any foreigner living in Japan who's listening to this podcast has absolutely used that excuse
0: before. (laughs) Well, she's not the first person who's done this. This reminds me of um, Sean K, a guy whose real name is Shinichi Kawakami or something like that. But he changed his name to Sean McCarticle, Sean McCardle Kawakami and represented himself as a Harvard MBA grad and parlayed that into a career as a Japanese radio personality and TV personality. So he repped himself as a Harvard MBA grad. But in reality, when they caught him out in the lie, they found out he'd only actually ever attended uh, three open lectures. He audited three open <laughs> lectures at Harvard. <laughs> and hey, came man. Back.
1: Maybe yeah. these lectures were really good. Maybe that's all he needed. This reminds me of a tweet which I saw, which was two books lined up in a bookshop. One book which said, everything they teach you in the Harvard MBA. And then the second book said, everything they don't teach you in the Harvard MBA. And someone tweeted saying, well, that's it. That's the sum of all human knowledge in two books.
0: I do think what you're saying about, you know, the, the title and the credential is, uh, is really accurate. In Japan, it's so important. Um, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be foreign. I remember hearing advice uh, from another foreigner in the industry that was like, if you want to be doing something, just make yourself a name card. Make yourself a meshi that says that that's what you do and pass well, it out. That's exactly, and start that's that exactly what it. I did.
1: I'd never yeah. done any voiceover before, but I put voiceover artist on my name card. And all of a sudden, you are one. I mean, it's yeah. brilliant. You could do this well, for anything.
0: Yes, but the difference here is that you could be a voiceover artist without causing harm to anybody. This Seri well, Sato, <laughs>
1: you don't you don't know some, 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 some of the listeners of these podcasts are going through some pretty dark moments while they listen to this
0: <laughs> she's selling medical equipment though i mean i think there's a difference between saying i'm a comedian or you know i'm a i'm a voiceover artist and selling medical equipment
1: yeah i think that's the point because i think japan places far too high importance on status right which university you graduated from which company you work at and i can see why because if you're lazy and you don't really want to investigate what that person's really like, it can be used as a useful proxy, right? Like Maybe you'll get it right 95% of the time that someone that graduated from this college has a certain skill set.
0: Especially in a society like Japan, when somebody is presenting their credentials, the odds that they're lying are very, very low. You know, Japan does put a lot of importance and emphasis on status. I think that's specifically Japanese, but I don't know if the idea that having a fake foreign credential will get you places is Uniquely Japanese, and you know whose insight I would really like to get on this. We've mentioned him already in the show. Uh, it's 2016 and 2017 Japan Comedian of the Year Sakuya
1: Right, I ought to explain, but this is this is this proves the point, right? Uh, a couple of Japanese comedians got together and decided they wanted to give themselves awards, and so yeah. they just crea- created some awards and you just now. Them you- out. Yeah, literally, oh, this is, he's my friend, Meshida, he just opened up uh, Microsoft PowerPoint or whatever it was, created a certificate, and now there's a a generation of young Japanese comedians who are Japan's Comedian of the Year, and it wasn't Japanese Comedian of the Year, it was Japan's Comedian of the Year, yeah. which, which made me think that I could get in on it too, uh, but turns out, never needed to ask him, just printed out my own. <laughs> Hey, thanks so much for listening all the way to the end of this Japan by River Cruise, episode 33. Uh, I have recently got access to Apple Statistics. Now our podcast has enough listens. And it's literally about this moment that most of you switch off. So if you are still listening to this podcast, shame on you, but thank you very much. We have one small request, which is if you haven't reviewed the podcast on whatever podcasting platform you listen to this on, then please do rate us five stars. And remember to address us using our proper credentials, Dr. Ollie Horn and Dr. Bobby Judo.
0: What? Sorry, um, I had stopped listening.